Dr. Kimber, Swamp Root, Kidney, Liver, and Bladder Remedy. Recorded live. Scuba Obsessed Weekly Podcast, we talk about all things scuba diving, from cool new gear, places to dive, and scuba news. Scuba Obsessed episode 259 is recorded live October 8th, 2015. Welcome back to Scuba Obsessed. I'm Darren Jolson coming to you from the southwest side of the state of Michigan where after I was gone for a couple days, it's still there. Joining me this week, we have Mac, the dive mentor. How are you doing today, Mac? I'm doing very well. It was a wonderful, very mild day here, trying to get in the good stuff before the snow starts. Oh, you said the snow word. And then uh, joining us this week, we also have Jim Schultz. How are you doing today, Jim? I am great, and it is great to be back. Well, it's great to have you back. It's uh, you, you've, you've been making us jealous uh, by doing all the diving, but somebody has to. Well, somebody, as you said, somebody's got to do the diving, so... Now I can give you a report on it. Excellent. Looking forward to it. And it is getting dark awful quick. What what time's the the sundown time? It, it, it looked it was like one minute I looked outside and it was fine, and then it seemed like I turned around and it was dark. Seemed like pretty close to seven o'clock. It's getting there. So it gets yeah, we've got less than less than twelve hours of sunlight a day now. Well, it's easier to get your night dives in now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's go okay. ahead and jump right on into scuba news the first article we have was one that mac identified world's world's greatest free diver is feared dead after disappearing during a recreational dive the dive was happening off the coast of spain and let me see i i think you picked this one mac just for the name i natalie that's what i think I natalie it's mean, natalie, <laughs> natalie? Yes. malchanova nova i can get the last part was the most decorated free diver in the world with 41 world records and 23 world champion titles. Was diving in the uh, Barak, is that Balarak Sea, near the Spain island of uh, Formentera, Terra, Formentera, on Sunday when she failed to surface. And they go on to explain what free diving is, but most listeners will know free diving is that thing, that thing crazy people do where they don't want to use tanks. In August 4th, a joint statement from her family and the AIDA International, the World Federation for Breath-Holding Dives, said uh, she was a recreational free diver off the coast of Spain on August 2nd, 2015, when she was separated from her peers. She was diving without fins to about 30 to 40 meters, which is 98 to 132 feet, and supposedly got into strong underwater current. Search efforts have been ongoing during daylight hours. The next day, she was reported missing by three peers. She disappeared while diving approximately two miles northwest of the port of La Savinia in uh, Point DS, France. And that's you'll never be able to find that location because I've mispronounced it so horribly. Presumed dead, the family and peers appear to have accepted that she is presumed dead. Her son, 28-year-old Alex, also a champion free diver, a total of four world records, told the New York Times, it seems she'll stay in the sea. I think she would have liked that. William Truebridge, another world champion free diver, also seemed to doubt her chance of survival. Said the cause of... Natalie's uh, disappearance is unknown, but she was doing what she loved, her passion for free diving that burned so deep inside of her that she dedicated her life to it. She had a nine-minute breath hold and could dive to the depth of 101 meters or 331 feet using a fin. She broke the world record for dynamic free diving where a diver swims as many lengths as possible in one breath and a monofin swimming 237 meters or about 778 feet. 778 feet on a breath hold. Well, nine-minute breath holds you had. Wow. <clears throat> yeah, I read another article on her there, and they were talking about the, the strong current, both surface and subsurface, and they talked about, did she black out? They don't know, was there a shark involved? Did she hit her head on something? Uh, the water temperature in the area was 79 degrees through a layer of water known as thermocline. At about 65 feet, it drops to 15 degrees, which they said is such a variance, it can shock a diver's system. But since she's used to that, that really is not expected to have been a, a, an issue. 
but other than, you know, what happened, who knows? Well, they mentioned a current, so it seems possible if you had a current that was going down or maybe even perpendicular, breath holding, especially if you're going, well, she always went, it seems like she was going deep quite a bit. There's that, it, there's just that one moment where you go from conscious to unconscious. Right. So if you go over whatever your body can handle at that moment, you're going to black out. And if you have unforeseen conditions, that seems like that's a possibility. Right. I mean, in the pool, when you do the, the free swims, it's called shallow water blackout. And there you've got people watching when you do it. Because quite often, it's not unusual to happen in those events. But when you're 100 feet down with no fins, you pretty much not going to recover from it. Well, next one we have is Maine lobsters. Uh, they, this is an article in, let's see, what is this, Quartz magazine, which I'm not familiar with. But they're talking about the counterintuitiveness of the amount of lobsters that are being brought in Maine. They said last year Maine fishermen hauled ashore, ashore? That's, a, that's correct, hauled ashore 124 million pounds of lobster, six times more than what was caught in 1984. The value of the catch was 456 million. They said it's 20% higher than any other year in history. They said 85% of the American lobster caught in the U.S. is landed in Maine more than ever before. And if you look at the chart they have, they show that uh, they had huge volumes are caught in the 50s and 60s, where it slowly decreased to the 80s, where uh, fishery management really started to step in, and then the trend's been reversing. Uh, but they said what's even more remarkable than the sheer volume is that the sudden six-fold surge has no clear explanation. A rise in sea temperatures, which has spread, sped up lobster growth, opened up a new coastal habitat for babies. Lobsters is one of the believed to be reasons. Another is that by plundering cod and other big fish in the Gulf of Maine, they've thinned out the predators that kept lobster numbers in check. Both the uh, strong hypothesis, yet no one really understands what's going on. Biologists puzzled over the strange events and more ominous mysteries emerging. Scientists who track baby lobsters report the last few years that the numbers have abruptly plummeted up and down Maine's coast. With the number of breeding lobsters at an all-time high, it's unclear why baby lobster population would be cratering. Let, uh, it could reflect a shift in baby lobster habitats, or it could be that the two-decade boom is already on its way to bust. And one thing that they've talked about is that in Maine, they're doing a, they call it a V-notch type of process. So you've got, uh, you've got what I've heard other fisheries call slotting, where you can't take lobsters below a certain size. Which, uh, let's see, lo uh, lobsters, do they say in here? They call them shorts, and that's anything smaller than three and a quarter inches. And they also say you can't take any jumbos, lobsters that are larger than four and three quarter inches. And the reasoning for that is they said that as, as female lobsters get larger, they hold more eggs. So they said that an eight inch female carries half as many eggs as a 10 inch female, and one quarter the number of eggs clinging to a foot long female and so on. So they're saying that as the females get larger, they significantly hold more eggs. So what they've done is that by preventing the taking of the larger lobsters, they're hoping to increase the number that uh, can be reproduced. There's also something called V-notching. Uh, they said for half a century, the custom has been that uh, lobstermen won't just throw back any egg-bearing females, which they're required to do, but they cut a V into the back tail flipper. So that if another fisherman catches that same lobster ever, they're supposed to throw it back. And they consider that this is also helps the fishery. Did you go through all the pictures on that article? Yes. Did you see the guy holding that 27-pound lobster? Let's see which one. It's titled, Helping Lobsters Bulk Up. Oh, my goodness, yes. That's like holding that a dog. huge. Yeah, they now, said... I think that would give me some hellacious meat out of the claws. Yeah, yeah. And I they, can't imagine how much that would cost. Yeah. Not to mention, where are you going to find it? You need a cauldron to put him in. Yeah, so it's a very good article. They go into a lot of depth, long form, and it seems like every time they come up with something that could be used as an explanation of why it's happening, then they debunk it and they go on to the next one. Yeah, yeah, that theory didn't work. Yeah. Well, that sort of leads into your that story about Naples, Florida, where the guys were poaching again. Okay, so the the same guys. So this is. Uh, did you I have see that, that one? That article? No, I don't. Where is it? No, did you? If you go below the one where we just talked about her, it's, you, you skipped one. That's the one there in Naples, Florida. 
Did I skip one? Uh, I did it again. Four men were arrested after an investigation found they were okay, running okay. a massive poaching operation in the Gulf of Mexico. Oh, I see. I'm sorry. Yeah, I just uh, I I thought it was part of the previous article. Okay, so they're uh, arrested after investigation. The investigation lasted more than a year, culminating Saturday when they arrested two boats and found more than 200 illegal pieces of fish and sea turtle. Arrested. This was remember last week we talked about the ones out of Florida itself. Mm-hmm. This is the second one, and that's why I thought it's quite interesting that here we go again, only this time on the Gulf side. Huh? Yeah, I would figure that you would not want to be doing something like that in Florida. But I guess if uh, you get a little too complacent, just about anything can. But why would they watch them for a year before they stopped them? Maybe they were trying to trail, you know, figure out how much of the supply chain was involved. Because sometimes what they believe that they need to do is it's not so important just to catch the people who are doing it, but they're doing it because they have a demand for it. So if they can plug those holes, I'm not saying that's that's effective in why they do it, but I've I've heard those arguments made before. They said the fish were were hidden so well that even a routine search might have missed them. This, a canine officer actively helped them sniff out the illegal fillets. With officers served the search warrant, they said they knew about the secret compartment for months of surveillance. They were in possession of, of a ungodly number of illegal species on board their vessel. This is FWC, so that's Florida, was it Wildlife Conservation, I'm guessing. Among the fish were Goliath grouper, an undersized red grouper, and more than 100 over the bag limit. Officers have been watching Vasquez Acosta and George Escanola for more than a year. He called them professional poachers. These two individuals knew exactly what they were doing. They built their vessels specifically to hide the fish, and we knew that. Rules are made to keep our stocks high so we can give our customers and clients a good fishing trips. If people are taking undersized fish, they'll never grow up to be legal fish, and you can physically keep, or it does hurt it does hurt our industry. The two juveniles were also on the boat. While not arrested, they will face charges. The boats have been confiscated. Yeah, that does beg the question of why a full year, and then why did they find, I mean, maybe they never did get the results, because it seems like if they had more, they would have said it here in the article. Yeah, that's what I was curious about, too. One of the, the year period seemed a long time. But again, losing your boat, that's going to be, uh, it's going to put a stop to at least that that's part. A, that's a bad day. But when you've modified the boat to illegally hide fish, I have no sympathy for you. I wonder if they held off till they had a really big catch. Oh, for the uh, press value? There might be a fine per fish over the over the limit. Oh, so you don't want to bust them with you know five fish over the limit, and you get the boat and five thousand dollars, and he's out in thirty days. You want something where, yeah, that's that's something to be interesting to see when he goes to trial if they say the sentences i bet it is per 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 fish that's what a lot of the game laws are one of the articles said they had it was against them on three three major felonies for what they were doing well then you had a factoid this one was on sharks right i had been reading both the alert diver magazine and the diver training magazine from uh september they both of those magazines were extremely good this month a lot of good articles and We've been talking about a lot of diver strike or uh, shark bites through the country here lately. So they had a factoid item here talking about the risk of getting bit by a shark in California. And this is current because it's you're talking 2015. And they were given the statistics. I always like statistics. They were saying divers are 6,897 times more likely to be hospitalized for diving-related decompression sickness than for shark bites. And then they said your chance is 1 in 136 million of getting bitten, and that an ocean goer are 1,817 times more likely to drown than die from a shark bite, and that surfers have a 1 in 17 million chance of being bitten. And of course, I agree with all the stats unless it's you. Yes. Yeah, the one guy who got yeah. bit, he's he's not hop, happy with the stats. Yeah. But certainly, that's, 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 that's been my gripe all along with, with everything, with the news, without getting into our my political soapbox is that we're so bad at assessing risk that we're able to be manipulated because we want to feel sorry for somebody who, an unfortunate, you know, bad side of the statistics. But sharks have, you know, it would be interesting is, is, because everybody likes to feel like they have control. What are the things that you can do to make it even less likely that you will be bit? And that's the nice part, what they also put in there. 
Uh, they said to increase your odds of not being bitten, and now we're talking California. They said avoid the seasons and locations where risk, risk is higher. And they said, for example, for surfers in California, the riskiest times are October, November in Mendocino County. And they said the risk is also reduced 25-fold, which is a hell of a lot, if you're surfing, if you surf between March, if by surfing in March between San Diego and Los Angeles area. And then they said, well, why is this that people seem to be getting bit less? And they said part of it is uh, due to the shark drop in the shark population. And the shark distribution for the coastline is larger now because they're saying the availability of uh, sea lions and, sh- and rays, which they eat, mm-hmm. have increased, which makes them get away from the shoreline, per se, and get out to where they got easier prey, perhaps. Yeah, or their or their their normal prey. Yes, that's, that's that's interesting article. I like that. Now, how's this for a piece of paper? The last lunch menu from the Titanic sells for eighty eight thousand at an auction. The paper that was uh, looks like it has turned a certain extent of yellow was a luncheon menu from the first class dining room dated April fourteenth, nineteen twelve. The details of the last ever gourmet lunch served aboard the luxury ocean liner. The menu reveals that the day before the boat sank to the bottom of the North Atlantic Ocean, passengers dined, and they said the wealthy passengers dined, on grilled mutton chops, soused herring, and a variety of other delicacies. The menu was put up for auction last week, September 30th, at the 103-year-old piece of paper is expected to bring about $50,000. Anonymous buyers shelled us significantly more than that for 88000 for the souvenir. Although then of the identity of the buyer is unknown, he or she may be a descendant of one of the 700 or so people who survived the catastrophic shipwreck, according to Lionheart Autographs and Invaluable.com, the auction house that handled the sale. I thought the rest of that was also interesting about the menu, who it belonged to. Yeah. It belonged, I never well, heard that part. Did you? The lifeboat number one called the money boat? I, you know, I've not all together. I've, it, said, so it said the salvage menu once belonged to Abraham Lincoln uh, Solomon, a passenger who dodged death by boarding the lifeboat number one, nicknamed the money boat. Lifeboat number one could have held 40 people, but floated away from the ship carrying just 12 people, seven crew member and five first class passengers. Well, I, I heard in the beginning that there was a lot of people who didn't even want to get on the lifeboats. In some of the reenactments, they had the boats were going down half full, but it wasn't clear if they were going down half full because they were taking care of the rich or people just weren't didn't realize how bad of a situation it was. Solomon had a car, carte du jour tucked in his jacket pocket when he boarded the lifeboat. He was also carrying a ticket from the ship's Turkish baths weighing chair, a chair that recorded the ship the, the sitter's weight. That tiny piece of paper is inscribed with the names of three of the other passengers on board the lifeboat. Number one, Miss Laura Mabel uh, Franchitelli, Sir Cosbo Duff Gordon, and Lady Deuce Duff Gordon. The bath ticket also sold during a recent auction for $11,000. Another document, a letter that uh, Franchitelli sent Solomon six months after the Titanic sank, went for $750,000. Interesting. A lot of money for a little menu. If you're a collector, then you're rich, and hey, why not? Well, it's definitely unique. Yeah, because even if they bring one up from the bottom, it's not going to be <clears throat> the same. No, not not, a, not by a long shot. I do like that corned ox tongue. Oh, is that is that one of the items on there? Yeah. I wonder, it'd be interesting to look at old menus from that time period and just see what people thought was good food. Was everybody I eating I don't know what a potted shrimp is either. On the buffet menu, it said potted shrimps. That means they were drunk. I don't know. What was potted? I've, I've heard that term before with fancy dining. I'm thinking potted is like, uh, would be like a pot pie, like maybe in an individual serving. Yeah, because down below it says veal and ham pie. It's just the titles are, are interesting. I'm, I'm going to consult the great big book of everything. It says a potted meat food is a product that is food similar to a pate. It's a method of food preservation, canning, consisting of cooked meat products seasoned, often parade, minced, and ground, where it's sealed into cans. Why would that be a good thing? I don't know. But we're also getting to the point in time where that would have been a novelty or it might have been able to bring something you wouldn't be able to get for any other reason. Yeah. So maybe it was, because was it War, World War One where canning really became influential? I'm not sure. I know that a lot of the depths up in the Antarctic... <clears throat> 
was due to lead poisoning because I had cans and they were sealed with lead. Yeah. Well, it depended on what you put into it. If you put a spaghetti sauce or an acidic content, it would it would eat through that lead, yes. And then I, yeah, there's a whole history on, on that. Yeah. This is a pretty good article, too, because they also have some nice pictures of the Titanic in there when you hit other, other uh, links. Mm-hmm. So just to go there and, and look around a little bit was quite interesting. So they've got students who are documenting fleet wing shipwreck changes. Researchers at East Carolina University are, have been researching the, the shipwreck. They're trying to compare conditions from 1986 to now in 2015 to determine what's going on underwater. They said if they understand that, there's a better chance of being able to extend protection and preservation of the wreck. Rogers, who's worked on documenting a wreck in 1986 and now in 2015, said that by t- that he's uh, continuing his analysis. The Fleet Wing schooner was built in 1867 in Manitowoc for businessmen Peter Johnston and Sylvester Goodnew by Mr. Henry Berger. The ship was once known as one of the fastest, strongest schooners of the Great Lakes. Her main duties were for running grain and coal between Wisconsin and Chicago, even as far away as Buffalo, New York. Now, they say Manitowoc. Is that that's is that what they're is that Holland area? This Manitowoc, Wisconsin. 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 Okay, because I because there's a, a Lake Manitowoc or Manitowoc. That's that's I'm just mixing up locations. So in September twenty sixth <clears throat> in 1888, the Fleetwood was running a load of lumber out of uh, Menomee, Michigan, destined for Chicago. Visibility was low, and the ship was headed towards Death Door Passage. Northwest Gale provide the beginning of the end for the fleet wing. Captain Andrew McGaw, McGraw thought he was rounding Table Bluff, which leads to the passage when a clipper ran aground in Garnett Bay, located southwest of the bluff in northern Door County. According to Teresa Hicks, organization's manager with Inland Sea Institute, a maritime conservation organization supporting the work on fleet wing, the captain had miscounted the number of bluffs the ships had passed, causing the end to the 21-year life of the schooner. Everyone on board survived, but it took a long time to notify the authorities that the ship was damaged and the opportunity to repair her was lost. Another storm came through, keeping the Fleetwood prisoner to Garnett Bay waters. When he visited the ship the first time in 1986, the Fleetwing was the first vessel to be archaeological, documented in Lake Michigan, and the second in Wisconsin waters overall. Now, is that date right, 86? When was the Rockaway done? Oh, jeez. Um, I'm after 86 because I moved here in 86. Oh, okay. Because you get a lot of people claim to be the first, then you find out that there were three other firsts before it. I was just thinking that was the Rockaway might have been sooner, but. 86, uh, let me think, because I, I loaned them my dredging stuff back in those days. And I'm, I'm trying to remember when that was, because I loaned that to them. They used my stuff out there for about three years. But I just can't remember the time either. Yeah, we'll have to take a look. Yeah, so he first visited A6, and then they did an archaeologically documented the wreck. The site is about 20 to 30 feet offshore. It is broken into multiple pieces. With the help of contemporary research in Wisconsin Historical Society, the public can learn more about the ship as it's changed in the interventions of people, ice, invasive species, and other factors. Since 2001, the site has been a national register of a historic place and been a t- popular tourist destination for dive charters, cruise boats, ISI is hoping to find a future for the fleet wing in the way of preservation. And they go on and on and talk about different things. If you go to the ghost ships, yes, uh, they have a, a booth there, the uh, Wisconsin Historical Society. Actually, they, they had booths from three different groups for ship preservation from Wisconsin there. And they had this also there. It was quite interesting. Uh, so if you get up there and you like that historical aspect, this is a real good place to go look at that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And I didn't cover it in the news, but I understand that <coughs> there's something recently where they're trying to expand the uh, uh, designation up there in Wisconsin. Yes. Uh, well, they're looking to make it a, a national underwater preserve. Oh, so kind of like how Thunder Bay is, another one? Yeah, yeah. You know, Thunder Bay makes sense, and I don't think you're impacting a lot of commercial business. But what what would the impact be of it being over there in Wisconsin and pretty much covering most of that shore? If I'm if I'm a, a recreational fisherman and I drop an anchor and I you know nick this wreck, how are they going to know it? Well, I, for one thing, yeah, how would they know it? But say they did know it. I mean, am I in trouble? I I'm defacing a his, historic 
you know, monument and a preserve. And then, then how you going through and making sure stuff like that doesn't happen? How are you policing it? Well, when I talk to one of the, the archaeologists, one way they get their they can do things is because they write grants, and that's how they get their funding. Because she said, without that, they wouldn't be able to do anything. And they okay. have actually done actually the first one. I'm always harping about, well, some kind of preservation you're going to do. They actually went down and cabled some of the parts and pieces together to keep them intact. Oh, okay. And they're doing it partially because let's see if we can prevent it. And now they've done some parts. I can see how that works. Right. Okay. Well, that that makes sense. Well, because we there's some... some of that up in uh, Lake Superior where they had physically uh, run some cables to keep the ship from falling open, you know, peeling open. Yeah, and the most common, most common ones up north, though, were they'd suck the sand out of certain of the ships. They did that for many, many years, and I'm not sure if they're still doing that. Now, what was the thinking about sucking the sand out? Was it to prevent damage or just to make it visible cause, so you could enjoy it? I think it was both. I mean, because if it got covered up, I mean, you got nothing now. It's going to be protected, of course. Yeah. But then again, you could lose a location again. Yeah, like I think. Max wreck. Right. Well, and the then, nice part is if we could suck the sand off the Max wreck validate what's there or not there. If you want to preserve it, cover it back up with sand. Yeah. But then at least you got a listing of what's under it. Yep. You could certainly document it, and I think it'll fill back in on its own in a couple of years anyway, the way the sand moves around out there. But we yeah. can certainly have the documentation and the, uh, the video and everything for it to, to know what's there. I would love to know what's in that wreck. And then we got the SS Aero shipwreck is leaking oil off the eastern, was that Nova Scotia? Yes, Nova Scotia. They said slicks have been spotted where the ship sank in the 1970s. Was that uh, Chiducbuctu Bay? Fisheries and Ocean Canada is investigating oil sheen near the old shipwreck in the waters off eastern Nova Scotia. The SS Arrow sank in 1970 after it hit a rock in the bay. Officials say the leak is coming from the ship. The slicks were, were spotted by Transport Canada Pollution Patrol plane earlier Tuesday afternoon. Canadian Coast Guard estimates that 10 liters of oil leaked out of the tanker. 10 liters. 10 liters, yeah. How would you even see 10 liters? If I if I took a 10-liter bottle and spread it over the water. If it was flat, you would see that for a long way. If you have any kind of turbulence, you won't. But on a flat surface, you'll see 6 liters. That's a lot of stuff. Is that? So you get kind of that, uh, that shimmering. Yes. Uh, it, off at the cook plant, uh, what they did is they had a... Um, looked like an oil spill when a day it was pretty out, out, you know, it was flat, and they were trying to figure out where the heck the oil come from. Mm-hmm. Where it came from is the parking lot. Oh, from the oils, and it rained, and that parking lot's huge. Went into the drain. The drain went down out to the lake. Mm-hmm. The the runoff was strictly from residual oil from people's cars after a heavy rain into the lake. Well, and I think that's why a lot of the parking lots now require to have the. Uh kind of the drainage ponds where everything from the parking lot goes into a pond and then that yep. has to fill up before it goes out. So it's kind of like a, a trap. We haven't seen any visual signs of any impact to marine life and certainly our partners with the Fishery and Oceans and Department of Environment don't see a problem with it, said Ryan Green, Acting Superintendent of Environmental Response of the Atlantic Region of the Canadian Coast Guard. Canadian Coast Guard has contracted divers to examine, direct, and seal any leaks. Cleanup is always a challenge. We foresee studying the cleanup as immediately as possible. And if weather goes along, we should certainly be finished before the bad weather comes. So it must have been just a perfect weather to spot it then. So 10 liters. You would think so. I mean, that doesn't seem like a lot, comparatively speaking. And looking at the water out there, it doesn't look like it's white caps. No, that, that's, that looks fairly calm. Because that's, that's in, uh, I'm not familiar where that bay is. But it looks, yeah, those waves aren't high at all. In fact, it, that would almost called that no waves. That seems to be more of just disturbance from the boat right there. Yeah, I'm trying to find a picture of it. Yeah, and I can't pronounce that bay either. <laughs> it just has a few too many uh, syllables in it. You know, us Americans, we don't have that many syllables. Yeah, I can show you a picture of it from the Navy. It says, recovery of bunker sea fuel oil from the sunken tanker SS Arrow and concurrent measures to control oil pollution during the winter of 1970. And it's got a picture of a, looks like a, a bigger ship on top with lines down to the sunken vessel that they're sucking the oil out of it. 
and then there's some uh, salvage operation shots from back then. Quite interesting. Well, if if it doesn't, if it only takes ten liters to make it visible, you you're always going to leave a little bit still on the vessel. Yeah. Even with the best of recovery equipment. Yeah, that's a big ship, and it's definitely in two big pieces too. Let's see, I copied that just send that so you'll have some clue what I'm talking about. But if it doesn't, if it only was ten liters, that could just be you know a, a crevice where oil had seeped up and gotten trapped, and then yeah. it finally seam rusted away and it's leaked out. Yeah, I just sent you a quick note on uh, Skype on that. Yeah, I'm gonna take a look at that. So this is the salvage report, right? This is from the Navy. He's got all sorts of pictures and a lot of black and white, not real clear. But uh, that was a pretty good size ship. It's nice that they put this document out there so you can see it. Yeah, it's from nav ships. So it, uh, So this was a U.S. vessel then? Yes, Department of Navy Ship Command document. Shutabucto Bay? I don't know how you pronounce that. Yeah. It was interesting, so it was worth looking at. It is. It's a, it's, it's, I, I love this where they scan old documents and make them available online. Yeah. Because this is before everybody was worried about trying to cover something up like this. This is more about you know, documentation and internal use. Well, that was probably before people were responsible. If you found it, you had to fix it. Yeah. <laughs> Let's see. What else do we have here? You have some dive sites. Now, what was this from, Mac? Uh, let me go back. i got to figure out where I'm at here for a moment. Hang on just a second. Okay. You know, we had been talking about places to dive, not just around here. And I thought it was interesting. But, again, I went back to the, to the magazines that we've got for divers training. And I looked that up and said, wait a minute, that looks like a really cool place. And it was in Oakland. It's called Lake Ten Killer. And basically, that's an Indian name from the old Cherokees who owned that place. But if you went to the uh, September uh, Diver Training Magazine, they had the article on that. It was Reservoir. And what I really enjoyed about it <coughs> is that a really nice picture and aerial photo of one of the areas you could go to. And they had a map to the buses. The airplanes, airplane wings, helicopters, and miscellaneous boats and monuments off one of these swim areas. And it looked like it had been a very nice place to go. Maximum depth of the place was 165 feet. Visibility was anywhere between 8 to 35 feet, depending on the weather. The summer it was 90 degrees water temperature. In the winters, it would freeze. And in addition to the artifacts that people put in there, there was also a, a, um, a town. Oh, really? Lake was formed, it filled in. So they said you can look, and they said find artifacts such as horseshoes, buggies, farm equipment, uh, jailhouse, wagon wheels, Native American pottery and jewelry. He said all of those items are protected by law, <clears throat> by law, and you can't remove them, but you can still see them. Nice. And there's a dive shop there. So visibility is 8 to 35 feet. So, you know, fairly decent for an inland area. Yeah, well, 12,000 acres, 130 miles of shoreline. A lot of a lot of place to go eyeball, and when I think of Oklahoma, I think plains. I don't think of water. Huh. So I, I found it interesting, and the article was excellent again. September Diver Training Magazine. Yeah, that's a that's an excellent article. Nice. Yeah, Divers Training Magazine is a good magazine. You can get those frequently from your local dive shops. Uh, and think- if you get online, you can also go to their website, and it's just like the Dan site. There's a plethora of information and places you can go and get extra hints and ideas on both training, equipment, and places to go. And many State times they, they list locations of that we dive at. Yeah. I think they had Gull Lake spin on there. Yes. You've had uh, Gilboa, I think White Star, and Hague Quarry have all been profiled. And they have a nice map so you can go see the locations and go dive them. So you're not, now I'm distracted. i got to go there and look and see what spots am I missing. Well, we covered what was it a couple of weeks ago? They dive the uh, missile silo. That's one of those out of the way places, but yeah, interesting. Yeah, did you see who went and dove a missile silo? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Rich Sinewick went and dove the missile silo. Was was there anybody else we knew? I, I don't recall. I thought there was, but I, I couldn't tell you. I know it was a what ten plus hour drive, and you yeah. saw the pictures of camping out and stuff there. Yeah, that was nice. That was a nice way to go. And I'm sure Rich talked about it. I haven't uh, caught up on his podcast, but Diver Sync, uh, Rich Sinowick's podcast, you can get to it from his Divers Incorporated website or the Diver Sync. And I think it's D-I-V-E-R-S-S-Y-N-C.com. And you can also go to our website. I think I'm pretty sure I linked to it. 
maybe in the co-host because he's been he's helped us out in the show before. But you know that he talked about that in his podcast. That'd be cool to go dive a, a missile silo. I just read an article earlier today talking about somebody diving a missile silo, and it was on the East Coast. Is one of the East Coast silos, mm-hmm. and visibility was two inches, which I was surprised because I figured that it would be better than that because when you see them out west, everybody talks about how clear they are. Depends if you filter the water or do something with it and what kind of contaminant they have in it. Yeah. Well, what they it indicated, because these were the missile silos that were decommissioned in the, I think it was the late 60s, early 70s on the East Coast. Uh, and they meant, they, they kind of indicated that because they had been donated to local municipalities, that they may have used it to get rid of uh, grass waste and stuff. So <laughs> packing a bunch of uh, grass clippings into an underground silo probably wouldn't do much for the Viz. Let's see. What else do we have? I think that's it for the core scoop of the news. There was one article where they were talking about a cool submarine. But I'm guessing they haven't made it because they keep, they keep mentioning prototype as I watch my web browser. Water fill, so that's a wet sub. Yeah, yeah. that's a wet sub. Yeah, browser going, going. Here it is. It says, our prototypes column introduces new vehicle concepts and presents visuals from designers who illustrate the idea. Some of them will be expressions of existing concepts, while others will be new. Some will be production-ready. Others are really far-fetched. So what this is, is this is industrial designers getting a chance to show off some of their ideas. And that was, used to be what you'd get a lot in popular science. The, was it Dolfido? D-O-L-F-I-D-O is a solar-powered submarine designed for scuba divers. Its shape is inspired by the famous Omer human-powered subs. Instead of a propeller, it would use oscillating propulsion system to move rapidly underwater. So they're they're referring to it would be kind of like uh, if you used a monofin, how oscillating that back and forth would create propulsion. The first Omer sub was built in the 1990s. In Montreal, over the years, have been different prototypes imagined and built. Now engineering students are working on their 10th model. I've always dreamed of driving a small electric submarine like the Omar to explore the waters off the Caribbean. This concept has created to fit that bill. It says it's meant to be driven by scuba divers, and we gathered that from the wet sub indication. It's flooded with water. It might seem inconvenient because you need to wear scuba gear, but they said it's much easier to build a craft like this than one that's a sealed submarine. The question is whether or not the concept will work. It's more about parts and cost, efficiency, easy use, sound level, and impact on the ocean environment. You also need a market to sell these subs. Retail price can be reduced to $4,000. Then it could be sold to resorts and sports divers. The cost of the CD Spark is about 5000 so the uh, Dolfido could probably be built for less than that and rent it at a cost of $100 per hour or $600 per day. Huh. It's such a concept. They they need to, whenever you do a concept, you, you need to show people around it, especially if that's designed what it's supposed to be used for. Well, for size, if nothing else. Yeah, because I have no idea. Is this a, is this a two-person? I'm guessing it's probably a one-person. Yeah, it's kind of cool. I'd drive it. I don't know if I'd, it really hasn't got me excited to go out and buy one. But I would go diving. I always go to a mechanics illustrator to popular science and get the old ones from the 60s for their wet subs. Yeah. And they were a little bit cheaper than that. Yeah, usually you could make them with, alum- with uh, aluminum. Yeah, yeah. They, they actually gave you plans on how to make it yourself. I loved that. Well, there's tons of different ones out there, that's for sure. That does it for scuba news. So let's see. I've been traveling. I would have not been able to get a dive in since we were last on the air. Mac, if the uh, medical police are still watching you, I doubt you've been able to sneak one in. No, I have not been in the water. I have been monitoring those that have entered, but I think Jim's got a couple of dives in. So where do you get a chance to get some dives in, Jim? Well, let's see. We've hit the Havana a few times. Uh, we've hit the river. We went out off the pier heads and recovered the um, race marks. We still have one race mark that got dropped. Well, the buoy sunk, so there's one out there we need to do a search and recovery on. Now, this is for the like the tri-state regatta. Um, 
No, it's the St. Joe River Yacht Club. They set buoys every year for their Wednesday night racing. Oh, okay. There. And so they, they've been using me the last few years to recover the buoys for them. And that way they don't lose all their cable and anchors and stuff. So we just go to where the buoy's sitting on the surface and follow the line down, put a couple lift bags on it and float it up. So it was a chance to show a couple of the new guys how to use some lift bags. Excellent. So hey. that was an interesting dive. Now, how you said? Did you say Max Rec is one of those? Uh, we hit Max Rec once this year. That's the only time I got on it. Okay, yeah, I'm not aware of anybody else getting on it other than that one time. What? Oh, Max Rec? No, I don't believe so. I think the most current uh, dive on the Havana though was uh, day four yesterday. Oh, somebody's yeah. been out again. Yeah, Kevin got out uh, Wednesday. Bob is Bob is still leaning to the idea that that is two wrecks. That's what he says. I want to go out and see what he marked. Um, yeah, because I, I was there when he when he marked it. Uh, but the right now was, you've got so much line on it, you <laughs> cannot distinguish between old and new. This will you. That's I think why Kevin's comments because there was so much line on it, but I can't see there being more than two lines on it. I well, think you, you'll tell finding, from. I think you're you'll, finding where people have buoyed to it before. You're finding lines that were attached to the wreck as a anchor line or a submerged buoy line. Yeah, that's what I think. Is there's there's some mooring lines, some old mooring lines on it that he hasn't just been able to identify. Yeah, I, those I kind of discount. I mean, I know they're there, but I'm not using those as a marker or guide. I think when you see what Bob has put out there, it's very. I don't think you're going to mistake that for an old line. Uh, but yeah, it's 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 made a wreck that was a early season one tank dive kind of interesting to go back to because there's so much of it exposed and there's just i haven't quite got a feeling exactly for the record that's another one we need to get on early in the year again Uh, any talk of when the last dive on lake michigan will be i think we've got a a guy out there now trying to find out if anybody's interested in getting into so getting into some shipwreck dives before the, the ice comes i don't know if anybody's responded to him I know yeah, I did. I responded to him to, you know, I asked him what was he looking at or, you know, where was he looking for because we're hitting the wrecks all the time. So, Is he a new, he, is, he's not a normal member of the club. He's just somebody who's recently connected to us through Facebook. I believe so, yes. Yeah, because yeah, it's amazing how many people don't realize that we're here and then they get excited to find other people diving. Well, you figure since last week, it's like uh, they dove in on the 2nd. Actually, they dove it that night. We had the last podcast. They had like seven people out there that night. Since then, I think Kevin's been all over the place again. He's still working on steamboat stuff. Uh-huh. But uh, he's hell for that. On the 4th, that was Sunday, uh, John and group went out there again, back at, at uh, Miles River Park. And then uh, some of the finds he had were pretty darn good. And then Kevin posted some pictures uh but I don't know if those were when you guys were up north. The Bermuda, was that up north? Yeah, that was up north. Those were pretty good shots, 28 foot deep there. Lots of wreckage, a lot of good stuff to look at. And then Jake even went out the other day by himself, which surprised everybody. Wow. Yeah. Uh, he found a bunch of trash, you know, a shell sign, flip-flops, bottle tops. But he had a good time, and that was the, the important part. Now, he, he was snorkeling. Yes, he was snorkeling. And then <clears throat> tonight, I think they had... Uh, Five five guys and three women out there. They had a whole bunch tonight. Oh, no, really? Good. You, you got something started, Jim. That's great to hear. I'm glad they had that many people out there because I, well, you started I looking was working at home today and didn't get a chance to get out there. And then uh, I think uh, Sarah even posted some of the bottles she found. Today's bottle find, she said water temperature was 72, uh, 52. She's got a very, very nice little bottle off to the right. I want that one. Nice what? corker. Slim tank. Oh, it's a... I can't read it exactly. Oh, Some kind of root. I don't know if that says wild root, but it's a very sharp-looking bottle. Well, I like no, it. Now no, you're going to make me go and look. <laughs> they've been finding hutchies. Oh, yes. So uh, there must God, be like a hutchie patch that they've come and, across. And he, he found a nice magazine last week, so he went back the next day looking 20 yards up trying to find the pistol. They went with it. Oh, yeah. I, I would guess. I would think that if a magazine, it wouldn't be anywhere near the gun. I thought the magazine would be upstream of it. Well, couldn't a magazine, I think a magazine would be lighter and more likely to be carried. That's what I'm saying. So if he found it here, it'd go upstream. 
Yeah, for the for the actual gun. But right. I'm thinking that unless it's a recent find in the river, you know, strong flows over time would really separate the two. Well, there was absolutely nothing on it. It was a good extended mag. Oh. It looked, it looked pretty uh, new. Mm. No rounds in it, though. Yeah, so they went to Merrimont, and they said five guys, three gals. Mm, great. Nice. Well, that's good. Yeah. I was going to go do some pictures, but I was just not up to it because I can't drive yet. So. Yeah, well, I, I, I say I had today off. I, I went out to the West Coast for Adobe Conference where we get to learn all the new tools and developments that Adobe has with their systems. And as I was out there, I had people messaging me, what are you doing in L.A.? You're going to get a dive in? And I need to next year because next year it's going to be in San Diego. I'm going to make sure I've got some time. I'm going to budget either before or after the the trip to get some dives in because I saw almost nothing you know, other than a couple restaurants and the conference. I did not get out anywhere again. But I, I came in. I, I, I've been trying to figure out how to what's the best way to leave the conference as far as schedule. So this year I left just a little bit before the end and flew out, and I landed last night in Chicago at about 1230 and didn't get home till a little after 4 a.m. So I was technically off today, but I was not in any shape to go and do anything for quite a while. We, we, we know you're a little off, but we don't say anything. <laughs> you wouldn't be the first one to say that. But I'm ready. I need to get some diving in. i got to get my tanks filled. That's another thing. Uh, I think if I had air in my tanks, I'd, I might have gone tonight. So i got to get those refilled. So we are are we officially in the river diving season now? Because I have well, a feeling that the, the... When we go back and look at what we've been doing, it seems like starting in September, we hit the river up until the snow comes. Yeah. So I'm just itchy that I can't get out there and play. Oh. <laughs> it's kicking me here. Well, everybody's getting in there and getting stuff. It's there used to not be too many of us. It was it was just me and you and Jim Cleman for a while were the only ones who were getting in the river, and now all of a sudden everybody's in there. Well, remember what was it two years ago? We did the uh, river dive for new people. Yeah, that that opened it up to a lot of people. Said I didn't know this was fun. You know, it's shallow water. You're not going to get hurt. Just got to watch it going through the railroad bridge. You know, yeah, got to the obstructions. But there's crap for two and a half miles. Pick what do you want to pick up? Yeah, the river it, diving is crazy. is really about knowing your your limits and getting in there. Well, that's Maribeth's kid, our um, grandkid. He he's already found what uh, two hutchies plus some good embossed, and he's just snorkeling. Yes, like I've said before, you right there in that shoreline is where I have some of my best luck. It's where that uh, stuff's been covered up for quite a while, and it just starts to erode in and then start exposing. I want to get over there by where they dug out the bridge. Yeah. Because they went into the embankment. That's got to be something that's going to be oh, interesting. Oh, yeah. Because, Jim, that's where you found a couple of nice bottles just before yeah. they took the bridge down. John was in that area. He worked that area a few weeks back. I think that's where he found that real nice uh, pitcher. Well, you start finding stuff, that'll encourage you to get back out there and find more. But I know Jake oh, yeah. and took the kayaks out. I mean, all you got to do is snorkel. You're going to find stuff. Was that you that made the comment about the aggressive carp and the bass? Not me. Somebody was talking about that, and they found some of my, my huge bass. So they, were, they had some uh, crayfish that were really giving them fit, so they'd pick them up, throw them up in the air, and the bass would come in and get them. Oh, <laughs> oh very best. I, I think she must have learned that from you, Mac. Might have been. <laughs> she's, being a good, she's doing real good, though, mentoring the new gals. So, and again, I mean, nobody out there is a spring chicken either. That's, that's what's awesome. So, so what are you trying to say? We're all old? Some are older than others, yes. <laughs> the only thing I really miss is normally we get not having our coffee and BS afterwards. Oh, yes. You know, the, the, the debriefing afterwards where we get the BS. Well, you, you have to do that because for, for those who have not experienced a Michigan fall, uh, this time of year you can you can have 40-degree days or you can have 90-degree days. So you never know. But it is slowly turning to more of the 40-degree days. And you have to warm up with with soup and coffee afterwards. Well, I know the other day St. Louis had 87 degrees and we were 61. And that was, what, two or three days ago. Yeah. Well, when I got to California, they said that they just ended a hot spell where it was over, a, it had been 100 degrees. Now, I they were talking about a drought, but I was there less than a week and it rained twice. So I don't know what they're talking about. Looked pretty fine to me. All, all the people in California now are screaming at their 
audio devices. So they got El Nino or something going on. Well, so, don't forget whenever you see Flyboy out there in your in your login, ask him to say, "Hey, what did you find tonight?" Because I know he was out there. Oh well, he's uh, he's John. he's he's called in, but I think he's doing it from his cell phone, so he may not oh, be. Okay. He may not be home. I can see he's he's dialed into the chat room. He probably got something really nice. Don't want to post it yet. Make us all drool. Yeah. He's got to polish it, have it, you send it to the, uh, whether it's a Sayers office where they measure the amount of gold it has. Well, I understand you guys had a real good time at the last meeting that I missed, so I'm really anxious to see what people bring for show and tell at this next meeting. I expect to see some nice bottles. Yeah, we want a good show and tell this time. I haven't been for a while, so they probably had the best ones while I was gone. Uh, so what's the plan for this weekend, uh, Jim? Do you, do you have anything scheduled? Well, my boat is out of commission at the moment, um, so I'm looking for a ride for Sunday because I'd love to get back out to the Havana on Sunday and see what Bob has tagged. Okay. Yeah, you might follow give his line Kev- over to the old to the old area. Yeah, give Kevin a shout. Yeah, I've talked with him a little bit. We'll see. I'm not sure what he's got going on Sunday. Yeah, yeah I don't know what Bob's got either. Yeah, there was one time I went. The last time I went out with Bob, there was three total of three boats there. Yeah, I think Adam took his boat out. I was going to go out there that day, but that's when the boat started acting up, so we stayed close to shore, and that's when mm-hmm. we pulled the buoys. Yeah, Adam was there, and then there was another, I think he may have been to a mud club meeting, but it was not what I would call your average dinghy. In fact, I told Bob that his boat could be a dinghy that this boat would haul on. Mm-hmm. That, was, that was how big the boat was. Mm-hmm. So that was... uh Somebody who I, I think would have room for at least another diver. He came and buddy buddied up with me, and we went down and saw the wreck. And he, he was a pretty good diver. He said it was his second or third time on Great Lakes, but I I think he's he seemed to have a little bit more experience than that because the low vis didn't seem to bother him. But yeah, we're getting to that time where if you don't get out there and get a dive in, you never know when the next one's going to be. Well, I think we are getting to that time of the show. I'd like to thank everybody who's in the chat room. Also, if you like to listen to us, please leave us a five-star review. You can do that on iTunes, also on TalkShoe. On TalkShoe, we're show 73759, recording live on Thursdays at 9 p.m. I'd also like to thank Reno Viola, the Outdoor Radio Network, for having us on the network and letting us be part of their program. If you like the great outdoors, you're fishing, hunting, other types of activities. There's probably a radio program for you. You can pick up the the app that they have available. So that's Reno Viola WRVO Network. And you can also visit our website, www.scubaobsessed.com. I think I'm back down to only being two episodes behind. You would think I would be able to keep up on that, but it's so hard. Once you get one behind, then it goes all to heck. Got anything you want to plug, Jim? Well, I do have... Um, a call out, a shout out I have to do. We had a couple of young ladies come into the store Tuesday who were visitors to the area. And so we introduced them to Scuba Obsessed and the podcast. And they said they would be listening tonight. I anticipate that they're probably going to be a couple of our uh, most faithful followers. And that is uh, Carrie from Arizona and Rose from South Dakota. Wow. So they're going to be diving Lake Mead this weekend. Oh. And then after that, they're headed to the West Coast to do some uh, California diving. You, you mentioned that. I, I, have, I have communicated back and forth with the, the PADI people, you know, the, the dive organization. Mm-hmm. And last year I saw they were at the show, but I didn't ever get a chance to meet them. I was standing in a line getting, getting ready to get some coffee. And I just happened to read out of the corner of my eye on on a name badge, Patty. And I'm like, "Are you Rob from Patty?" And that's who it was. So he he's one of their he, uh, people who works for Patty, and he makes the the mobile app and does some of their website stuff. So Ooh. we were chatting. So I was I'm trying to talk Patty into coming up and doing some dives with us. He says he hasn't had a chance to get into the the Great Lakes, but it's on his bucket list. So. Rob, if you're out there and you're listening, you know you got an invitation. Come on out, and we'll we'll get some dives in. Sure, Rob. We'll uh, we got a dive shop you can come out and visit and call it an official visit. Yeah, yeah. Maybe you can get your boss to approve it. I don't know if the you know being the computer guys if they if they let you out of the cave or not. But uh, so that's good. So it was it was Rose and who else? Rose and Carrie. So Rose and Carrie. 
So what were they doing in Michigan? They were just out visiting? They and... were visiting uh, family. Nice. And just decided to stop in the dive shop. So cool. Yep. Yeah, well, and they didn't bring any dive gear? Uh, no. No, they were in the market for some new gear. So we found them some new and some uh, bargain gear that uh, wasn't quite as new. Got them all fixed up. Excellent. Well, nice. So hopefully they'll be back to dive with us and see some of the great wrecks of the Great Lakes. Well, Mac, do you have anything you want to plug? No, but we missed DEMA. That's this week, you know. And uh, Now, first week of November. Say again? First week of November. Uh, there's one going on right now in Orlando. No, I, I think thought it's, it was the first week of November. I think it is November. Is it now? Yeah. No, I, it's November. So maybe they're getting ready. I just typed Demo. I think that's, I just typed Demo, and it was Orlando. Demo 215. Yeah, Demo Show 2015 is going to be... Oh, registration open. Yeah, yes. November 4 7. Then you still got a chance. Kind of, I, I saw something the other day on this. The people were down there now. They were sharing a very, very nice room, up to four people. A hundred bucks was the was the cost for the room. Yeah. Well, I mean, you can four go now. Four people on that, man. That's pretty reasonable. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they had rooms down there that were ninety two dollars uh, double occupancy, or two double beds. So you know, depending on how you wanted to do it. Oh well, that's really good to know. I'm going to be in Florida in November. Damn. You're going to be there. Yes, I'm going to be in Orlando, matter of fact. Actually, oh, not Orlando. I'm going to be in Tampa, Tampa area. Yeah, it's a, you can still drive there. I'm going to have to yeah. look at that. I never even thought about that. It's just a few hours to Orlando from Tampa. Yeah. Yeah, you, you go be our representative. Yeah, I'll have to I wear was, my colors. Yeah, because I was going to go this year, but uh, couldn't find someone to fund the entire trip. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I gotta visit my daughter. I hadn't seen her since she's moved down there. Uh, my my goal is for next year is to be able to have that trip to go on. I this year I, I'm going to be in Missouri about this time for work, so I won't be able to to make it. We're at Missouri. Oh, my normal stomping grounds. I'll be Marceline and Kansas City both that week, or actually the following week. I'll, it overlaps just a little bit because I'm sure the fourth through the seventh. Let's see what's those dates that's got to be of course by the time i open the program to figure out what a date is i'm surprised more people i'm surprised you haven't wandered out to bonterra while you're there you know the drive from here to bonterra is the same distance as it is from marceline missouri to bonterra i don't get any closer by going there which is sad because it's just the way the roads are because i checked when i when they first bought us i was like you know what I bet that won't be too bad. You know, if it's two hours away, I'd go do that on a weekend or something. But no, yeah. it's seven hours. The drive, drive time from here to Bonterra is seven hours. The drive time from Marceline, Missouri to Bonterra is seven hours. Now, with all the newer people in the club, I'm surprised they haven't got together to do a November, not a November, but a February dive or something. Well, we should just put it together. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking of putting something together this year. I just can't haul my gear up and down them damn stairs anymore. Uh, we'll work something out for you, man. Yeah, we'll either get Sherpas or or something. Yeah, I was thinking about saying like to hire some teenage boys for the New Year's ice bag. I'm going to do that hella high water. I may have to do that hookah, but I'll do it. <laughs> yeah, why not? Yeah, it'll work. Hookah be even better. Tanks is what... Or you get one of those little James Bond units. Let's see if I can get Jake and use his electric pump and a float. That'll work. Yeah. I don't have to haul the damn thing out. I can just drag it out there. Well, you've got experience with a bicycle pump. Can you, the one, can you tr- resurrect that? Uh, yeah, but it'd be hard for me to pump at the same time be underwater. <laughs> Mac, if I have to, I'll give you my long hose. <laughs> I, I've still got yeah. my rig anyway. All i got to do is put the bottle on the surface and go down on the, with my hose. I don't think I've ever gone through more than a half a tank in a January dive anyway. So, yeah, we no. could do that. We could probably run three or four of us off the same tank. Yeah. I am looking forward to seeing if we have good ice for Lake 16 again. Well, here's my prediction, and people have been grousing about it, but I think we are going to have a record snow this year. I keep hearing you talk about that. Well, I think with the lake levels, the surface temperatures are still above normal. I think we're, and then you've got an El Nino going on. I think it's just going to, they're just screaming, we're going to get snow. I don't know if we're going to get more ice. Because we've had those winters where it just never iced over, so I don't I don't know. Well, I know the, the molds are going pretty deep, 
and making big exit holes, which is normally an indicator of a deep freeze. So unless they know something, we don't. Well, somebody posted a picture of acorns that were the size of golf balls. Oh, and wow. said that's always an indication of, uh, you know, big acorns is cold winter. Damn. Where were those at? That was New Jersey. Uh, stay away from New Jersey. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't. I don't have any trips scheduled. I was going to say the only thing place you want to go in the middle of winter is someplace really warm, but I don't have anything scheduled. I think Kansas City is as warm as I've got for a while. Well, yeah, we'll find a good spot down in Florida, and you guys can come down and visit. Well, I do have. Uh, we do have. Uh, well, our our buddy Reno from the WRVO Network has has extended invitations. So I just talked to him earlier today. After the show, remind me, and I got to fill you in on some stuff. But okay, yeah. our world underwater will be here before you know it. Same thing with the ghost ships. Uh-oh, we're starting to get That's a little bit. Well, I haven't given up on Lake Michigan diving yet, so. I won't. It's coming out of Marmont, huh? Yeah. Whoa, Dr. Kimber, swamp root, kidney, liver, and bladder remedy. Damn. Mm. So some nice oh. finds there, then. I went out there with Richard Meester. Yes. Two years yeah. ago, showing him around there during the shallows right off the dock. Mm-hmm. Bent down, picked up that root beer one, that real green, heavy green. You're just sitting there. On the surface, <laughs> frosted me until I found me and I found one similar to it. But it's like beginner's luck. You walk out, you trip, you fall yeah. in the water, you put the hand down, you come up with a bottle. The secret of bottle collecting is moving and finding a lot. Just got to yeah. cover and some And then ground. the water's number one. Yeah, it could be in the water. It's hard to find it if you don't go down there. Yeah. Is it that time yet? I think it is that time. Okay, let me see if I can zoom this in. I'm I'm... Writing this problem, I have a hard time. Oh, my gosh, I can't even read it now. i got to find a different way of viewing this stuff. Zoom out. Okay. Go to a different monitor. So you guys ready? Ever ready. The funeral possession. Oh God. Funeral possession. Is that, is that like a spirit? Procession. A funeral procession pulls into the cemetery. Several carloads of family members, followed by a black truck, towing a boat with a coffin and a big dive flag in it. A passerby remarks, that guy must have been a very avid diver. Oh, he still is, remarked one of the mourners. As a matter of fact, he's headed off the lake as soon as he buries his wife. Is that one, is, we, is that too bad? <laughs> We're all afraid to answer before. Might, I saw might be, nothing wrong with it. Might be evidence later on. I heard nothing. Or, or have, have we observed this, maybe? <laughs> so on that note, go out there and get what? And stay safe. And give us a call if you're going to be in the area. We'd love to meet you if we show up. You guys know where the closest missile silo is around here? Call recording has been completed. Mm, you no. Been you guys ever been in one? No. It's in Rantoul Air Force Base. Rantoul, where's that? It's right above Bloomington, I believe it is. That's where we used to have the World Free Fall Convention. Okay. In one of the areas they used to teach that, they had a full missile silo that they used to teach to people in. Yeah. St. Louis Sam in the chat room is asking... Uh, where that missile silo was that Rich went to. That one was out more out west. I don't remember where do you. I'd have to go back to find out. I, I don't. When he said how short a distance it was, it's like, well, that, because there's one in Texas I know about, but I yeah. don't think they were doing that one, were they? Well, the reason I mentioned the one over in, in, in uh, Rantoul is they're actually closing down. They, they have a really, really good um, museum there. Mm-hmm. And it's finally going by the wayside, which is unfortunate. I flew out there actually a couple of times. Seems like every summer I fly out there just for the day because I like that place. And uh, I, I didn't fly out there this year, but I probably will next year. But they're closing down that that museum. And I was thinking if they let that fill with water, we'd have a local one to dive on. Oh. <laughs> <laughs>
So it was, it's interesting. They're closing down the museum, which is unfortunate because it's absolutely great for historical aspects of aircraft and aviation. Okay. Uh, it, they went to Valhalla. V-A-L-H-A-L-L-A. Valhalla. Usually you have to die to go to Valhalla, isn't that? The... Valhalla Atlas Decommissioned Nuclear Missile Silo. Which state is that? I'm looking to see. Well worth the effort on a 20-hour drive. Okay. Yeah, it was a long oh, freaking drive. 20 I hour. I was thinking 10 hours, not 20 hours. Yeah. I... The bottom of the missile silo. So those are going back next year for the 50th anniversary of the decommissioning. Huh. Well, the pictures they took were pretty clear. It looked interesting. The only difference is the one that in Rantoul was a, you know, a functional training facility. And the reason they started closing down it for tours is because it was getting moisture and mold. But we wouldn't care. So I don't know what they're going to do with all that stuff out there. Turn it to a diving mecca. That would be nice. Abilene, Texas. That's where they went was Abilene, Texas? Abilene, Texas. Damn, that was a long trip. Yeah. 